Well, good morning, Gateway. Good to see you this morning. Before we get to our sermon this morning, we want to take a few minutes and ordain and recognize our new deacons. One of the, the great blessings of this church, and just one of the marks of health and God's kindness to us, are the godly leaders he's established in this church. If you're not familiar with our model, we are a plurality elder-led church with congregational final authority. We have 10 elders. We also have 13 deacons now. And our 10 elders and 13 deacons are responsible for the ministries and the life of this church. And what a blessing it is to serve alongside these guys in leading Gateway Baptist Church. And so this morning we want to talk about the work of the deacon. And again, we preached on this back in August, September when we were talking about communities. I don't want to rehash all that except for just to remind us that God has called and ordained the office of deacon as an office of leadership in the church. And the deacons are to meet the needs of the body. The deacons here are responsible for making sure needs are ministered to, making sure things happen around the campus and facility-wise as well, in lots of different ways. They serve in very practical, tangible, tangible ways around the campus here. And so we just want to acknowledge them and recognize them. So first of all, we have four new deacons that you as a congregation have elected for a deacon service this year. So you four guys coming up here. We've got Henry Williams, Lenny Dixon, Craig McCullough, and Steve Gillis. So you four guys coming here. And your wives come up with you all. So you guys come on and stand up here. Come on, come on. You got it, Elaine. We are very, very blessed. So, yeah. so, so, the, so these, are, these are our newest deacons here. I want to make sure you guys know who they are as they're called into service and selected by you, the body, to serve here. Got Henry Williams down here, Steve Gillis, <laughs> Lenny Dixon, and Craig McCullough. And so they join our other deacons. I want our other deacons. You guys come on forward. I want you to see who all the deacons are. So the rest of you active deacons, come on down front because you're going to pray over these guys just a minute. But I want you to see who they are. So current deacons, come on down here as well. And join these brothers. Yeah, they, they, these are the guys who are, who are the deacon team of Gateway. And again, look at this and what a blessing that God has raised up these men to help make sure the needs of the church are met. One of the cool things that's happening on the deacon board this year, something that Dave O'Meara has started in the last year is where we keep growing in. And that each deacon is going to have a primary area of responsibility. So we're growing our deacon team. We'll have a deacon who's going to be in charge of senior adult ministry to make sure our senior adults are ministered to. We're going to have a deacon who's the deacon for millennials, making sure our young generation is connected and well assembly in the body. Deacons over different ministry areas of the church to make sure the needs of the body are being met. And so I just want to ask you to get these, these guys' faces in your mind to pray for them. Pray for them as they give leadership to different areas in the life of the church. And so to join them now, I'm going to ask our elders to come forward. I want you to see who the elder team is of those who are here. So elders, you guys come on down also. Because you all are going to be laying hands on these brothers in just a minute. So elders, you guys come on down also. <clears throat> so again, guys, I want you to know what a blessing this is. Rare is a church that has this type of godly men to, for, to oversee the work of this church. And so I just want to recognize, elders and deacons, we are thankful to God for you guys and appreciate all you guys do to serve the body here at Gateway. So with that said, we want to ordain and set apart, but Henry and Steve and Lenny and Craig, for their new work, join this team of men who are going to be leading this church. So I'm going to pray for them. I'll ask our current elders and deacons, you guys kind of want to get behind them, in front of them, circle around them, lay hands on them, and you guys join with me in prayer, and you guys in the congregation join with me in praying for these brothers. And again, I want you to pray for all these men who lead this church on a regular basis. We, we covet your prayers. We need your prayers for the work that God has called us as pastors, elders, and deacons to do here at Gateway. So join me in prayer, please. Father, I am so thankful for these brothers. Or what a blessing it is that you have raised up a group of men like this to oversee this body. Lord, I'm thankful for the, my fellow, for the fellow deacons here. And Lord, just their, their heart to serve and the way you've gifted them to serve and to meet so many of the practical needs of the body. I'm grateful for these brothers who are elders, who give spiritual oversight to the congregation, who are the shepherds of the body, and thank you for them. And thank you that together, we work together using the gifts that you have given us 
Lord, to equip this body for the works of service you've called it to do. So Lord, I ask your blessings over these brothers. Lord, I thank you particularly for these four new deacons who are joining the deacon team. Lord, we thank you for Henry. We thank you for Steve. We thank you for Lenny. We thank you for Craig. God, I thank, I'm thankful for their faithful service here. Lord, this congregation selected them to deacon not to get them to do something, but because they're already doing so much to serve you. Lord, thank you that the congregation recognized these brothers' faithfulness to love you, to love their families well, and to love this church well. And Lord, as they step into this official role as deacons now for these four brothers, we pray your blessings upon them. God, we pray that you give them great vision for what you want them to do. Lord, I'm excited about the different ministry areas each of these brothers are going to be overseeing in the life of the body. And I pray as they step into these roles, God, you will give them a vision for how you want them to serve, how you want to lead the body to serve in these different areas. We pray you'll protect them, that you would guard their marriages. Lord, we know the enemy is hard at work to divide families. We love nothing more to create division, Lord, that would bring these men down. And so would you guard them and protect them from the evil one? We pray for their wives and thank you for their wives and their wives' faithfulness to you as well and their wives' faithfulness to serve and to come alongside their husbands and do the other ministries that you've called them to do. We pray your blessings upon them as well. So Lord, for these four brothers and their wives, for all these men you see, that we see standing right here, God, we ask your blessings upon them. Lord, that you will continue to let them be men who walk in holiness before you, men who experience your grace every day, and men who will be found to make a difference for you, for your glory and your glory alone. Lord, our desires at the end of the day would be said of these men and all of us at Gateway, like the psalmist said, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. And we will give you all the praise, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brothers. We are grateful for you guys. And again, to Craig and Lenny and Steve and Henry, welcome to you. We're glad to have you on board the team. It's, it's fun to serve alongside you guys, and so we are thankful for you all. And again, Gateway family, I hope you'll treasure what a grace gift this is. Again, this is it's not very common to see churches with so many godly men who want to have a heart to lead and shepherd this body of believers. And I hope you'll treasure that, and I hope you'll also pray for them, pray for all of us as we really do need your prayers. Well, as we continue now with the Gospel of John, I want to ask you one simple question as we begin. What is the hardest thing you've ever had to do? What is the hardest thing you've ever had to do? Some has been some relational conflict you had to try to make peace in. Some of you may be some medical diagnosis you faced. I mean, for some of you, because I know we have a good bit of military families around Gateway, one of the things is the military task that you've been called to do. Because we've got to know military families with Gateway's heart to welcome the military. It's been interesting to hear some of the stories you guys share. Like, I love when Mr. Ray is able to be with us. And if you know Mr. Ray's story of a man, our brother, who spent three and a half days on a life raft in the Pacific after a sub got sank. A man who was hiding out in Japan because the Japanese troops were after him. The patrols were after him. A man who was a scout on Okinawa. I mean, you talk about tough things he was called to do. But a lot of you others have had tough things to do. You've been sent to places your families are not even allowed to know where you're going. You've jumped out of airplanes. You've watched comrades die. I mean, all sorts of stuff that you have done. As you think about that, what are these guys in our military friends, where do they find strength to do the tough things that they're called to do? Well, they know who they're doing it for, right? They believe in the cause of the country they're fighting for. They've been equipped to do it. They didn't just go jump out of an airplane for the first time and say, I wonder what this is like. They were trained and equipped for the task that they were given to do. They knew the reality of the danger. They're not sent to an enemy. They don't know who the enemy is. They know the enemy. They've been equipped to understand the, the tactics of the enemy. And they kept all that in view in the midst of the hardships of that. So what in the world does the military have to do with John 15? Well, a lot right here. Because I want us to see this morning that our salvation to follow Christ is more than just a decision. You see, when Jesus calls us to himself, he also calls us to a mission. And it's a very difficult mission that he's called us 
too. But yet it's for every single one of us. Friends, if you know the name of Christ, if you believe in the name of Christ, if you've been changed by God and have a relationship with Christ, it is not just for you. Jesus is sending you out on a mission as well. So there's one idea I want you to see this morning. It's simply this. God calls and equips us to bear fruit in a difficult mission. God calls and equips us to bear fruit in a difficult mission. Again, there's no exceptions. This is not just for the pastors, not just for the elders and deacons, not just for the missionaries overseas. This is for everyone who calls on the name of Christ. Jesus is calling you and equipping you, not just to salvation for you, but he's calling you to send you out on a mission as well. So turn to John chapter 15, where we're going to continue this morning. Just a quick reminder of where we are in this. As you know, for the last several weeks, we've been in, uh, in the last night before Jesus is crucified. This is Thursday night of what we call the Passion Week, the week of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so again, what we're talking about is happening less than 24 hours before Jesus' death. All this is happening in one conversation one evening, though it's going to take us a month or two to get through. It's all happening in that one little window of time on that Thursday evening before Jesus' crucifixion. This is the night that he's with his disciples in the upper room celebrating the Passover. And there, as we've already seen, he's taught them so much about what it means to follow him, so much about what it means to know him, and so much about what it means to have a transformed life. We're going to see another aspect of what a transformed life of knowing Jesus looks like this morning. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 15, starting in verse 16 and reading through chapter 16, verse 4. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. What a treasure we have in His words being given to us. So John chapter 15, starting in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command to you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, verse 1. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you. You've given us your word. As we continue looking at what happens in this upper room, Lord Jesus, as you speak to your disciples and then as it's been recorded so that we might read and be fed as well, I pray your word would come alive to us. God, would you help us understand this morning, perhaps in new depths and new ways, what our salvation really involves. That as you're calling us to yourself, you're also calling us to be sent out. And God, I pray in my own heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters that you might rekindle in all of our hearts, Lord, a passion for that which you are calling us and sending us to do. And we pray this for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, the one thing I want you to see this morning is God calls and equips us to bear fruit 
in a difficult mission. God calls us and equips us to bear fruit in a difficult mission. Let's start with that idea of Jesus calling us here. So go back to verse 19. I want you to see what God has done for us. In verse 19 of chapter 15, Jesus says this, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What has God done for us? He has chosen us out of a world lost in sin. He has called us to himself. So I was reading and studying on this text. I came across a, a great quote from a guy named D.A. Carson. He's a great scholar and theologian. And he describes us this way. He says, We are former rebels who have, by the grace of the king, been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch. We were rebels who, by the grace of the king, have been won back to loving allegiance to our rightful monarch. And think about that image with me for just a minute there. That we are rebels. We've shaken our fist at God. We are in denial of who He is. We are not living for Him. But the King in His kindness woos us back, calls us back, and turns our allegiance away from living for ourselves, turns us out of rebellion to living for Him, the rightful monarch. And that's in fact what God has done for us if we are in Christ. He has called us to Himself. He has rescued us. And we want to treasure that. We want to celebrate that. But friends, so often we stop there. So often, even when I ask people to tell me your story, which a lot of you have been subjected to already over this last year, and you tell, tell me your story, and you get to, and I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and then we all kind of stop. I'm always like, what's next? Come on, what's the next chapter? Jesus didn't save you so you could tell me I'm a believer and I'm not going to hell now. He saved us for something more. And I want you to see that in this text, that our salvation, our story, our calling, our testimony is so much more than just, I'm going to heaven when I die. He's called us to a mission as well. Just look at verse 16, perhaps the most important verse of everything we were looking at this morning that was all important. Look at verse 16. Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Notice it says in verse 16 here, when Jesus says, I chose you, there's no period there. It doesn't end there. Jesus didn't say, You didn't choose me, I chose you, period. End of the story. He says, I chose you and, it's an important and, and I have appointed you. God has appointed us. If we are in Christ, he didn't just save us, didn't just choose us so we don't go to hell. He has saved us so that we would know him, we could bring him glory. And now he's appointing us to a specific assignment. And the word here in verse 16, he's appointed us that we might go. Where do we go? We go back into the world that he's drawn us from. Remember, we were rebels in the world who turned against the rightful king. He draws us to himself. He gives us eyes to see his glory. And then he sends us back out into that very world that we came from. It's the imagery of an, amb- an ambassador. I mean, think about it. The President of the United States sends ambassadors to other countries. Why? Not to go live like they want to live. An ambassador doesn't get a free vacation to go live in another country for the fun of it. The ambassador is sent by the President of the United States to represent not his own interest but to represent the interests of the United States wherever he goes. Jesus has drawn us, has called us out of the world, has now sent us back as his ambassadors into the world, not to do what we want to do, but to do his work on his behalf there. And what work is he calling us to do? What work in the world is he sending us out to do? Again, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and, we're going back in the world, to do what? To bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Okay, what does this mean? What does it mean to bear fruit in the world? Well, we've, fruit's kind of a big picture of a transformed life. Where I saw that fruit meant our lives are changed because of what Christ has done in us. Now, I want you to see this morning that fruit includes also our witness for Christ. And when he sends us out into the world to bear fruit, he's also sending us out to make him known, to share the hope of Jesus with people who have never heard of the hope of Jesus before. 
You see this idea explained a little bit later in the passage. Go down to verse 27 here. Verse 27, Jesus says to them, And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So we see back in the earlier verse that our mission is to bear fruit. And now he kind of clarifies that for us. This particular fruit that he's talking about in this text is to bear witness for him. What does it mean to bear witness? Think about a courtroom for a minute. In a courtroom, what happens when a witness comes on the stand? A witness stand says, I can tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you exactly what I have seen, what I have experienced, what they know to be true. Friends, if we are in Christ, what have we experienced? We've experienced salvation from our sins. We've experienced the joy of knowing Christ, with the joy of being restored to a right relationship with God. We've experienced peace. We've experienced joy. We've experienced freedom from the power of sin in our life. He's given us all of that, not for us to sit on it, but to go back into the world from which we came, to be sent out as his ambassadors and tell others, I want to tell you what Christ has done for me. And if you will believe in him, you too can have peace. You too can have joy. Yes, the strongholds of sin that enslave you, those can be broken. Yes, you can know God and have a relationship with God. He sends out as his witnesses of what we ourselves have experienced in him. He sends us out to let others know this. And friends, this is so important. I want you to see this in one other text. So hold your finger here. We're coming back. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking about what it means to be in Christ. And he's going to use a very similar type description of it, but uses a little different imagery, a different analogy to help us really get what we are called to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, I want you to notice the link between our calling to believe in Christ and our mission to which we are sent out for. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now stop right there. When we think of the gospel, friends, that's what we typically think of. Look at what Christ has done for me. I'm a new creation. The old things are gone. The new has come. Christ has reconciled us to himself. The problem is we often put a period right there and we stop right there. This text about what the gospel is, is so much more. Yes, it is all those things, but it's more. You can go back to verse 18 here. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, so we don't miss it, Paul's going to clarify here. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's pretty clear there. God is the one who does the work of saving But who does he work through? Us, you, and me. Look in verse 20 now. Therefore, who are ambassadors for Christ? What's the word there? Oh, that sounds pretty weak. So who are the ambassadors for Christ? We are. are. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through who? Through us. Who implores you? We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We should go back now to John 15, but I want you to see another text, that when Christ saves us, he doesn't save us just so we don't go to hell and so we can go to heaven. He saves us so that we might know him and bring him glory. And part of bringing him glory is the transformed life we've been talking about all these weeks. But part of that transformed life of bringing him glory is being sent out to point others to the hope, the joy, the peace, the freedom that we have in Christ ourselves. It's a call to a mission for him. God calls us to bear fruit on mission for him. Unless we think this is all very happy and easy, he gives us a pretty sobering warning here. This mission he's calling us to is going to be a really, really, really tough mission and a really difficult one. Look at verses 22 through 25 back in John 15. This is how the world views Jesus. This is the world that we've been called out of that he's sending us back into. Verse 22. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be filled. They hated me without a cause. Notice the word hated over and over again. Not a real happy text, is it? The world hates God. Who is the world here? When you see the world used in Scripture, it can mean different things. Here the world is referring to all those who do not believe. All those who do not believe that God is real, the Creator, that Jesus is God who died and rose again. That's the world in view here. All those who do not believe and that God has revealed himself in the Bible. Now how does this world view God? Look at verse 24 again. Jesus says, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Now, what does this mean? Let me just clarify for us here. When he's saying they would be innocent, he's not saying they're innocent of sin. He's dealing with the specific sin of rejection of him. He's speaking to this crowd around him that has seen the miracles with their eyes, had heard this authoritative teaching and rejected and rejected and rejected. He's saying, if I hadn't come, they, they wouldn't be guilty of the sin of rejecting me. They would still be sinners because, you know, we're all born sinners. As I talked to my kids about, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're born sinners. We come out of the womb sinners. We inherit a sin nature, and no one has to teach their kids to sin. The, sin, the kids come out knowing how to sin because we are born sinners. So everyone is already guilty under the law because of that. He's dealing here with the innocence being the specific rejection of him on this. Basically, he's saying to them, they have even greater judgment because in before their very eyes I have done these works. Before their very ears I have spoken this authoritative teaching, and they have, instead of believing it, they have hated me. Again, look at verse, the end of verse 24. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. It's a serious reminder that when people have heard the word of God over and over and over and they reject and choose to hate God, their judgment is even greater than those who have never heard but are still sinners, they, who will all still face judgment. This judgment is even greater on this. This is the world to which Jesus is sending us into. He's saying, I want you to go bear fruit. I want you to go witness for me to this world that hates me and hates my father. So before we think, well... We're pretty winsome. I bet we can be more winsome than Jesus. I bet we can get the world to love us. Jesus brings us back to very sobering reality here. If the world hated him, how are they going to view us, his witnesses, his ambassadors who get sent out? Look at verse 18. Verse 18 through 21 here. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. So if the world hates Jesus, how's the world going to feel to us? They're going to hate us also. Jesus is pretty clear about it. In fact, the word for hate here in these verses I just read is a present tense ongoing action. Basically, you could read this. If, you, if the world hates and keeps on hating you, Know that already hated me. If the world persecutes and keeps on persecuting you, well, know they did it to me first. Friends, we should not be surprised by this. I think sometimes we act surprised when the world doesn't get all excited about followers of Christ. We should not be surprised. Again, the imagery I read to you from D.A. Carson earlier, he adds one little thing to it that I didn't read at the beginning. I want to read in light of how the world views us. He says this, again, former rebels who by the grace of the king have been won back to loving allegiance to the rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. Former rebels who, by the grace of the king, have been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. 
Think about that for just a minute. We, according to the scripture, all have sinned. We are part of a world that is shaking our fist at God and saying, not your way, God, but mine. I'm living for myself. We're not going to live for you, God. We're all in rebellion. The scripture is very clear in Romans 3 to me that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person on the planet is in rebellion against God. When the king, the rightful king, starts drawing some of us back to himself and we turn from joining other people in rebellion against God to serving God, we're not going to be very popular amongst those who are still shaking their fist at God because we have defected, so to speak, back to the rightful monarch. And that's exactly how the world views those who follow Christ. Jesus tells us the early disciples exactly what they're going to face. Look at chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. He says to them, speaking to these early disciples, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus says they will do. In the Greek, this is a tense that indicates certainty of action. This will certainly happen. This is a promise of Jesus. They will do this to you. Now, I've never seen this in a promise book from Scripture. You can go to the little Christian bookstores and buy little bound things of promises to claim from Scripture. This is not one I've ever found in a Bible promise book to claim, but this is a certainty thing that Jesus is saying that the hour is coming when people will kill you on account of me. And in fact, that is what we see fulfilled in the book of Acts. We see the early disciples getting martyred for their faith. We see even Saul, before God gloriously saves him, killing Christians. We see Stephen getting martyred for his faith. We see the earliest Christians being hated by the world because they're simply going out and speaking of who Jesus is. In fact, one of the earliest references to Christians in non-Christian literature is a document that describes Christians as people, quote, who have hatred of the human race. This group of people that Jesus has redeemed who are to be peacemakers, who are to be pure in heart, who are to love righteousness and stand up for justice and minister to the widows and the orphans is a group the world sees as haters of people. Why? Because the world hates God. Therefore, they will hate his followers as well. And friends, that's continued through the last 2,000 years. All over the world, the normal Christian experience is the world hates Jesus' followers. And friends, that continues today. Yet somehow we act really surprised when non-Christians think we're narrow-minded or think we're somehow bigoted or think somehow that we can't think and we hear all the hatred of the world and we act really surprised and stunned like, you know, why don't they see that we just love people and want to take care of the widows and just want to stand up for, the, for injustice and make sure that injustices are stopped and justice happens? Why can't they see that we just want to love people and find hope? Why don't they get it? Well, they've never gotten it. For 2,000 years, the world has hated God and has hated his, Jesus' followers here. And so we shouldn't be surprised Look back in chapter 15, verses 19 and 20. And this is what Jesus says will happen. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Friends, if the world loves us, there's a problem. That's probably because we look too much like the world. Friends, if we're at school or work or in our neighborhood and the non-believers who are living with shaking their fist at God and rebelling to God think we're really cool and awesome, there's probably a problem because we blend in too much. Now, I'm not saying we need to be offensive. We don't need to be offensive. The gospel is what is offensive. But if we are doing what Christ calls to do, that he is sending us out to bear witness, and we in, the, in, in love and humility are speaking the words of gospel and hope and joy and peace to non-believers around us, they're going to take offense not at us. They're going to take offense at the gospel. And so, friends, if the world loves us, either we've got our mouth shut and are not talking about Jesus, or we blend in way too much. God has called us to be transformed, to be different, to live as aliens and strangers in the world. And that includes bearing fruit for God in a very difficult 
mission. Now, if in the sermon there, that'd be pretty sad and hopeless today. Like, oh, great, there's a pastor with a downer of the message today, right? It's not a very hopeful sermon, but there is hope in this passage, friends. They didn't just say that God calls us to bear fruit in difficult mission, but God calls us and equips us to bear fruit in difficult mission. There's a lot of hope embedded in this text right here. A lot of hope as Jesus sends us out to a world that hates him and hates us. There's a lot of hope in the midst of all this. And there's four things I want you to see in this text of where he gives us hope. I want to mention them just briefly because I don't want you to come away today thinking, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to be a witness for Jesus in a world that hates me. This is going to be an awful way to live. There's so much joy and so much hope in this. Jesus equips us also to bear fruit in a difficult mission. Four ways here. Number one, Jesus promises to answer our our prayers for help. Jesus promises to answer our prayers for help. Go back to verse 16, kind of the key text of this passage. It says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. You should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There's the promise right there of answer prayer. Now, friends, verses like this get taken out of context so often. See, Jesus is, and you'll hear people say, look, Jesus promised to give you whatever you ask in the Father's name. So you need that raise, you need that healing, just ask him and God has to do everything you ask. Friends, that's not how prayer works. God is sovereign and all-knowing, you and I are not. We submit our prayers to God, asking him and trusting him to move as he sees fit. It's like a child asking his parent for something. We should be able to ask God of anything he invites us to, but he knows best. And we ultimately say, like, Christ, not my will, but your will be done. What this promises is not a blanket promise that you've asked for a new Cadillac, you're going to get a new Cadillac. If you ask for healing, you're going to certainly get the healing. That's not what this text is dealing with. This text is dealing with how we live for Christ in a world that hates us. What is fruit? Fruit is having a transformed life. Fruit is sharing the message of others, of Jesus with others. And Jesus already told us we can't do this on our own. We saw in the last two weeks, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what this particular promise is right here in verse 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, is tied to this fruit. Do you seem like you have an addiction you can't, you can't overcome? Do you have anger issues in your life you can't overcome? Do you have a pornography addiction you can't overcome? Do you have marital conflict you can't seem to resolve? Do you have some issue in your life that you can't resolve? Jesus is saying, ask the Father. He will give you grace to do it. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. Or you're saying, you know, I just don't think I can talk to my neighbor. I know my neighbor needs Jesus. I know my family member needs Jesus. I know that friend needs Jesus. But how am I going to talk to them about Jesus? They, they, don't, they, they hate you, God. How am I ever going to have boldness to open my mouth? God is saying, come, ask me, and I will give it to you. There's a specific promise that when we need God's grace to bear fruit, either in walking in holiness or speaking of Jesus to others, if we ask him, God promises to give it to us. And so if we're struggling to walk in holiness, ask God. He promises to help you and give you grace to walk in holiness. Are you struggling to speak for Jesus? He says, ask me, I will give it to you so that you can speak for him. So again, he doesn't leave us hopeless in this world that hates God and hates us. He says, ask me and I'll give you what you need to do what I've called you to do on this difficult mission. But there's a second thing he gives us that gives us hope here. Not only answer prayer, but he gives us community, one another. The very thing that we talked about for about five weeks back in the fall, he gives us Christian community. Friends, he is sending us on mission together. Now jump ahead to chapter 17 just for a moment here. We'll come back to 15 in a minute. I preached on this text in John 17 back in the fall, but it bears repeating here, not to go into a lot of detail, but just to remind us that Jesus is not sending us out alone to a world that hates us. So much of Christian teaching on sharing Jesus with others, what we call evangelism, is all about personal evangelism. Who did you share Jesus with? Who did you share Jesus with? That's not what he's calling us to. He's calling us to community evangelism, to how do we together as the body of Christ make him known. Look at this in John 17, the high priestly prayer. Look at what Jesus prays for us today also. John 17, verse 20. It says, I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's evangelism. People who believe because of our word, our witness. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Why does God give us community? Well, one, we need it. But two, he gives us community because that's the most effective way of the gospel going forth. Community on mission together. When we love one another the way Christ has called us to love one another, the world will take notice. The world that hates us will take notice and observe this so that the world may believe, the world may know. So friends, Jesus has not left us alone. Let's go back to John 15. Now go to verse 17. He just told us that he's called us to go and to bear fruit. Now in John 15, 17, this is what he says in the middle of this text. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I know about you, when I first read this, I'm like, that seems kind of random there. He just told me that he's going to send us out, and then he starts explaining how the world's going to view us. And in the middle of all that, he kind of has this interjection, don't forget, love each other. Well, Jesus just talked about that. He's been talking about throughout the whole upper room discourse here. Did Jesus forget he had said that? Did he have a senior moment here? Did he kind of have this like lapse here to where he's talking to them? He's like, okay, I'm going to send you out on this mission. It's going to be difficult. Love each other. Now, they're going to hate you. Like, was this like some like, blip in his memory that he forgot to say this? No. Why does he repeat this and interject it here? Friends, because we cannot face a world that hates God on our own and stand strong. We need one another. And so when he says in verse 16 that he's going to send us out, he's telling us to go and bear fruit. When he follows it up with, I command you to love one another, that's not accidental, friends. We need to link arms. We need to be united as one in Christ so that as we face a world that hates us, we can face the world with joy and strength and not fall. You think about an army going forward, how much more strength there is when a group of soldiers are marching together than when a single soldier is out trying to stand his own alone somewhere versus having all of his comrades with him. So God says, yes, I'm sending you a difficult mission, but I'm going to answer your prayers and I'm going to send you out together as a community. But he gives us one more, or another piece of hope as well. And this one is really huge for us. We're going to talk a lot more about next week as we keep working through John 15. But look at verse 26. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit for this task. Verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Here, the Holy Spirit is called the Helper, the Counselor. Again, we're going to see a lot more about that when we get further into chapter 16 next week. But let me remind you something here from verse 26 here. The Helper, He will bear witness. The Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately has to open eyes. Friends, the Holy Spirit is the one who takes people and gives them eyes to see the gospel. You and I can't make someone believe the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit is the one who has all the power to be able to turn rebels into people who are faithful to their king. You and I don't have that type of power. We can't turn people, but He can. How does he do it? He uses the words of scripture. He uses the gospel, the gospel that we share. And as we share the unchanging message of the gospel, he illuminates it in people's minds. He gives understanding. He convicts people of sin. He woos. He draws them so that they will believe. And so listen to how this reads together with his work and our calling as well. Verse 26 still. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he, he the Holy Spirit, will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Don't miss that connection. We are able to bear witness, trusting the Holy Spirit's going to take our words of the gospel and use it to draw people to the Lord. Friends, God calls and equips us to bear fruit in difficult mission. He gives us the promise of answer prayer when we need help. 
He gives us the promise of community. He's sending us out together. He gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit. And one last one, he gives us Jesus' words to help us stay strong. He gives us Jesus' words to help us stay, stay strong. Look in chapter 16, verse 1 and verse 4. So verse 1. I've said all these things to you. Why? To keep you from falling away. Or verse 4. But I have known, or, but, excuse me, but I have said these things to you that when this hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Friends, Jesus doesn't hold anything back. He tells his disciples, some of you are going to die. The world's going to hate you. Don't worry, it hates me first. I'm sending you anyway. Go have fun. Now, he doesn't like try to make it as palatable to us. He doesn't try to soften it. He says the reality of how things are going to be in this world that is in rebellion against him. There is no easy believism here in this. But why does he say these hard things? Not to discourage us, but to bring us back to a place of reality of what we're going to face so that we will depend not on ourselves, but on him. Again, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. And so he gives us his words to enable us to persevere because he loves us. His words become a means of grace so that we don't grow discouraged. Friends, when you're trying to walk in holiness and someone keeps tempting you with something, remember Jesus' words. When you're trying to share Christ with someone and they're not interested in it, remember Jesus' words. He says here, I have said these things to you so when the hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. He loves us so much. He's told us how life will work. Like you've heard me say before, Jesus' plan is not to get you and I from birth to death in the safest, easiest, most comfortable, happiest way possible. His plan is to use our lives to bring us great joy knowing him, but also to bring great glory to himself as we bear fruit in a difficult mission. But praise God he hasn't left us alone in this. He's given us the promise of answered prayer. He's given us community one another. He's given us the Holy Spirit within us. He's given us his words that we may remember. Friends, when we cling to that, we're able to do what he's called us to do by his grace. I just want to remind you, the Gospel of John demands a response. This is not something nice like, oh, that's really cool that the early disciples got warned of this, and it's really neat that they were willing to go die for Jesus, and yeah, I'm glad they stayed strong, and that's really cool. Okay, where are we going to have lunch today? That's not what this text is there for. This is not for us just to feel nice about what the early disciples did. Friends, this was written for you and for me as well. God calls and equips us to still bear fruit on a difficult mission. Again, this is not just for missionaries, not just for pastors. This is for everyone who calls the name of Christ. If you know Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, you've been reconciled to him, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So since the Gospel of John demands a response, I want to ask us, have we realized, friends, that our call to salvation is also a call to mission? Have we realized that God has saved us not just for me, he saved me to send me out on this mission and on this difficult mission? And then the follow-up question needs to be, am I even trying to bear fruit on this difficult mission. As I look at my daily life, is there anything in my life that indicates I really am trying to make Christ known to others around me? And friends, when I look at times in my life where I'm not as committed to sharing Christ with others and trying to do what we call evangelism or making Christ known to others, whatever term you want to use for it, there can be lots of reasons, but if you're at a place in your life and you look and go, you know, I really am not trying to make Christ known, then there could be four reasons possibly why that could be. One, it could be we simply don't know him. We're not going to make someone known if we don't know him. Remember, bearing witness means telling what we've experienced. And friends, if you and I have not experienced freedom from our sins and freedom from the power sin in our life and joy and peace, what do we have to offer the world? So sometimes I think we may keep our mouth shut because perhaps some don't know him. It may be because we focus so much of our salvation as being about us and not him. We live in a culture and a world that makes everything about me and my wants and my needs. And God's just like the heavenly grandfather who just wants to dispense all these gifts and love me and let me sin as I want to, but I'm not, he's not going to send me to hell. Because our salvation is not about us, it's about his glory. 
I think sometimes when we get so focused on what I get from God, we miss that our calling to salvation is also a calling to be sent out to make him known. Perhaps another reason why we don't seek to make Christ known to others is we, we minimize the difficulty. We somehow live in this culture where we think that everything's going to be like Mayberry, and I'm just going to walk down the street, say hey to my neighbors, and invite them to church, and they're going to come. And we minimize that, so we try in our own strength. Instead of realizing that this is a very difficult task he's to, and we can't do it in our own strength, and we don't depend on him. But some people, depending on personality types, may just focus on the difficulty going, man, my neighbor's never going to talk to me about Jesus. My neighbor's never, my, my, my classmate at school who makes fun of me is never going to listen if I tell him about Jesus. And so we get overwhelmed with the difficulty and miss the grace of God he has available for us. Friends, whatever the reason is, there's good news. God loves us too much to leave us where we are. God loves us so much, he and his grace is going to enable us to live out what he's called us to do. And that means to bear witness for him in whatever path of life he has put us in, wherever we are. He will, if we ask him, he will give us grace to transform us and change us so that we can be found faithful to bear fruit and to make him known. So before we end today, I want to give you one specific challenge for this week. Just one. Several parts to it, but just one. Before the day's over today, would you pray and say, God, is there anyone that you've already put into my life that you want me to be bearing witness to about you? Perhaps there is a neighbor. Perhaps there is someone in your class at school, a co-worker, someone even in your own home that you know does not know Christ. There's no fruit in their life. There's no change. They don't have the joy of knowing God. They don't have the joy of being set free from the power of sin in their life. Is there someone that God's already put in your life and God is calling you to start praying for them? Before the day is over, I want to ask each one of us, self-included here, will we pray and say, God, is there someone you've already put in my life that I can start praying for that they might know you? Now part two of that, okay? Once the Lord shows you someone you need to be praying for, would you find another believer here at Gateway? Could be your spouse, could be a friend, could be a Sunday school teacher. You can email me if you want to tonight. But email someone else and say, hey, I can't do this alone. God's called us to community evangelism, not just me doing evangelism. And so would you pray for me? And would you join me in praying for this person who doesn't know Christ? And start getting other people in the body here together to start praying with you for this person. And then part three, that's where it gets a little more challenging. Would you say, God, would you give me an open door this week to speak about you to this person? If we are really called by God and equipped by God to, to make him known, and it's a difficult mission, friends, let's start praying first. I've heard it say we need to talk to God about men before we talk to men about God. I think so often we try in our own strength and wonder why we fall flat on our face. And then we fall flat on our face and so we give up and we don't try again and we just sit at home and kind of get in our little holy huddles. God has called us and equipped us and saved us that we want to be sent out to bear witness for him. Yes, it's difficult. So let's get praying. You start praying about it and just say, God, who was one person this week? Get some friends from the church praying for you about this one person. Then start asking very, very real, God. You've called me to bear witness. Would you give me an open door this week? to bear witness for you and to be found faithful to what you've called me to do. And let's just see what God does in that, friends. God has called and equipped us to bear fruit in difficult mission. Yes, that includes the ends of the earth. It also includes right where we are now. We're called to bear witness for Christ in our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, even the people we run to at Chick-fil-A or Walmart, wherever it is. And let's ask God for grace this week to find just one person and let's see what he might do through us. Would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for your kindness to us, that you love us too much to sugarcoat things. You love us too much to... Make things, try to make things more palatable. You tell us very clearly that we're in a world that rebels against you, that hates you. But Lord, we're, we're so thankful, even as we think about that, that in your kindness to us, Lord, you've taken us, individuals who were rebelling against you, shaking our fists at you as well. 
And God, in your kindness, you've won, you've won our allegiance back to you. And we can know you, the rightful king, the rightful ruler over all. God, we just want to rejoice in that. Lord, we follow you not because we're smart, because we're wise, because we figured it all out. Lord, we, we follow you because you've, your scripture is so clear. You've chosen us. You've called us to yourself. You've given us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to believe the gospel. Lord, I pray in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, God, you wouldn't let us be content just there. Lord, you have by your sovereign plan not only reconciled us to yourself, God, you've made us ministers of reconciliation. Lord, I know in my own heart so often I've fallen so short in this. It's so easy to get so comfortable hanging out with these brothers and sisters we love so dearly, spending all of our time with fellow believers. And Lord, we need that. We're made for community. Lord, don't let us lose sight of the fact, God, that you have caused not just to be together in community, but you've also called us together as a community to bear witness for you. So Lord, in my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters, would you today, even just by the work of your Holy Spirit dwelling within us as your children, would you just burden each one of us with a single lost person this week who is so in need of knowing you, but one who, Lord, you desire and you deserve their worship as well. And God, will we be, have that burden in our hearts, not just today, but for days to come? And Lord, would you show us the, the value in getting others praying as well and others encouraging us as well? And Lord, I'm, just gonna, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen. Lord, I pray even in the months to come, we might even get to baptize some of those we're going to start praying for today, God that we might see you doing what you've called us to do. God, If you, God, you've told us that your desire is that none should perish. Yet, Lord, you've made us your mouthpieces to go into this world and to share your ministry of reconciliation. Lord, help us be found faithful in that, not in our own strength, but relying on you. So, Lord, humbly we ask this day as we begin to listen to you of who you've put in our life, as we begin praying back to you about that person, as we even pray for opportunities, Lord, I pray you would start to stir in giving us these divine opportunities and be working in such a way to the Lord where it's not because we're so winsome, Lord, it's all for you and for your glory. Lord, I pray you begin to draw to yourself even these people we're going to pray for today, Lord, in such a way that our faith is strengthened, our joy grows, and Lord, you get all the glory. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?